Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You can watch a simulcast on the stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111, If you would like to get in, certainly feel free to do so. I love the way that our friend Steve Wiley put it. Eight is great and nine is fine. So let's get that tonight. The, uh, the Astros will play. Um, the Twins again for the second straight year the Astros lose a building block former first round pick to free agency and for the second straight year that guy is hurt you know last Springer hurt the Astros a few weeks ago but all of last year he was hurt every time the Astros played the Blue Jays and then here we go uh, yesterday Carlos Correa got put on the got put on the injured list. I still want to say DL. I'm not totally used to this whole IL stuff, but um, got put on the injured list. So they'll play again. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I don't know when that is, but it's, so it's possible they'll play in the second series of the year that they play the Twins, but uh, he will not be available in this one. And obviously it started out fantastic. Um. Uh, you do not, in my the way I look at it, you do not want to start out a nine-game road trip with a no-hitter. So that was very good that, in my opinion, that was very good that Gio Urshela got, got the, uh, the single in the eighth inning. Uh, you know, the minute that happened, I'm like, all right, got that over with. Just get out, get me out of this inning. Don't throw too many more pitches. Go sit down. You know, got, let's try to win tomorrow. So I think the the Astros' chances of winning today are better because he didn't throw a no hitter. I'm not into the no hitter thing. But um, one of the major themes that we've been talking about for weeks now is I just, I just. I just don't trust all this pitching I'm seeing. I, I I just I just think there's a lot of fools going, and here we go. On the night that Verlander takes a no hitter into the eighth, Reed Detmers throws a no hitter. I mean, just, I don't know. I don't know. I keep thinking 1968. It's just too easy. It's not supposed to be quite that easy, and uh, I just. I've decided I'm not going to take anybody, any pitching seriously until like July. Maybe June. At least June, maybe July. Now, again, it doesn't mean that none of this counts. Of course it counts. I don't don't know. There's just, it's too much fool's gold in it for me. And so I I don't really trust any of it yet. Although when you have a guy who's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame, 
and who has a career track record of knowing how to pitch like a Verlander, you probably trust him a little more than you trust some of these other guys who are just having unbelievable starts to season to the season on the mound. But no, great, great win. But I, you know, my takeaway from last night, obviously Verlander was great, but my takeaway continues to be this cat Jeremy Pena. Is, can he really be that good? I mean, he just, he's fast. He, he had an incredible slide last night. He just, it seems like every game that he does well, he does something a little different to show you, man, I can, I can kind of do this too. I mean, I was like a George Springer slide yesterday. Score on a sack fly that he probably had no business scoring on. They scored on two sack flies that they had no business scoring on yesterday. Obviously, the the scouting report is the Twins outfielders aren't real good at throwing people out <laughs> because they they you know ve- two very short um, fly balls and they got sack flies. They won five nothing and three of the five runs were scored on outs. That's um that's baseball. And that's good. It's good to be able to do that. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111, Cajuns won last night. You know, we talked about it. Austin Perrin hadn't done anything all year. They go to they go to a couple weeks ago to to um App State. He comes in and throws four and two-thirds inning, I think it was, and and really won the game, you know, stabilized things. Uh, last night he came in through three shutout innings, and I, I, I'm not saying that Austin Perrin's suddenly going to be the hero of the pitching staff, but it's just nice when you can have a guy who's like a super senior like him who doesn't really have a significant role anymore, but when you count on him, he can give you you know, his last seven and two-third innings have been very effective, very effective, and very critical in producing two victories. Heath Hood is another guy that I think is very important from here on out. We've talked with Coach Dex about that a few times. You kind of figure now at this point in his career what you're going to get out of Carson, Ro- Carson Rockefeller. I mean, he has been Fabulous all season. He did it again last night. Two for four. Uh, triple and two ribs. They hit three triples last night. It's kind of strange. Um, but it was also nice. Kyle DeBorge kind of hit the rookie wall there for a while, but he's coming out of it. Uh, three for four. Bobby Lede had two more hits again last night. And then Connor Kemple. Connor Kemple and Carson Rockefeller. I mean, it's unbelievable what they've done. Connor had two hits, a triple, and two RBIs as well. So really nice road win. You just don't want to tr- get tripped up by a Rice team that's struggling, and they weren't. They won 7-3. to three. The problem is you got to play again tonight at Rice before you get a day off on Thursday and then begin your the biggest series of the season at Texas State on Friday. So it is a nice win. On a different note, in the NBA last night, you know, I've thought this and we've talked about this, and it was not a one-man loss. Obviously, the Sixers last night in Game 5 played 
with the kind of energy and execution that you play with, kind of like the Mariners did in, in, in you know the last game or so of that nine-game, three-city American trip for an Asian team, like I, like I like to say, kind of like you would in the old NBA schedule days where a lot of times you'll play three games in a row and the third one is on the road and, and you are three and four days and that third one's on the road and, and you just, you just, you're going through the motions and, and, and you, and you basically lay an egg and it's just a great circumstance game for the other team, but you can't have that in game five of a playoff series. But the point I'm getting to with that is James Harden. Is he not, unless something changes in his career, is this guy going to go down as the worst postseason performer ever by a, a really, really good player? Like, I'm not talking about an average player. I mean, this guy. I, I still in my mind, and, and I'm no longer an NBA, you know, big time fan where I remember, you know, I remember a lot more probably that happened in the 70s and 80s than I do now. But, you know, the last 10 or 15 years. But there, when he was still in Oklahoma City and they had a chance to win, I thought they had a chance. Uh, he was very young still. And I thought they had a chance to really make a deep run, maybe even win an NBA title. And they played a critical game, and he just he just didn't show up. And and he's consistently done that throughout his career. It just, I mean, it's just. Uh, I don't know that anybody really thought that they would win the series, especially. Um, you know, when their best player got injured. But, man, they just. And I don't really buy this. He's all bummed out about not being the MVP. But if so, again, that's just another. That's another example. Is, they stop. They, they, they talk about the MVP to death. And it's so silly. And they just talk about it over and over and over again. From midseason on, it's like almost every day. Who cares who the MVP is? Like, what good does it do that this cat is the MVP? His team's out of the playoffs. We only in the second round. Who cares who the MVP is? And so I, I, I cannot believe that that he would be that worried about that, that it impacted his play. Maybe it did. And if it did, that's just another example of how just out, just how ridiculous all this MVP. I mean, really, GOAT and MVP. I'm just so over the top sick of hearing about GOAT and MVP. Like, every time somehow, oh, he's the GOAT. Do you even know who played 30 years ago? I mean, so many of these people have no, like, why are you even talking about this? I just, it just amazes me. I just it, it and so it's it's a big big controversy, not controversy, but topic of discussion. Shaq brought it up last night. Some people are saying, "Oh, that's ridiculous," but what? And it is ridiculous. But 
with all the MVP and GOAT talk all the time, some of these guys, especially these young players, you don't know if they're immune to it. Like they just, they, they, they get so caught up in that stuff. MVP. So silly. But no, not just a, it's just shocking how bad, how many awful games a talented player uh, you know, a high-level player can have. I mean, you can have some here and there, but he's had way too many. And, and, and again, I don't want to – I think the Sixers have more issues than just James Harden. Don't get me wrong. But uh, that, that was – you want to talk about a stinker. And you want to talk about a game that was, that was predictable. I guess you could – I discussed it yesterday. I guess you could argue – that, you know, I brought up the point. Some people play better when they're angry, and some athletes don't. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know, you just had the feeling that the Suns were going to get some revenge, and boy, did they get revenge. So, well, uh, I think those series will go exactly as we expected it to go, and we'll see what happens everywhere else. All right, let's get to... Um, a phone call at the hotline before we get to our first time out. Hello. Yes. Uh, hello. How you doing? Pretty good. All right. You said 30 years ago, uh, that was 92. That was Charles Barkley's interview, right? Oh, I don't remember exactly. It was he. I was just saying, do you even rem- do, do, do some of these people who talk about this even know who were who, who the best players were 30 and 40 years ago? But you know yeah, what? That, Charles that, that, Barkley... Charles Barkley is a prime example. He, every, you know, he, he, now all we talk about is rings. That cat didn't have any rings, but do you realize how great of a, most people who get so caught up in this GOAT conversation and these rings conversations, they have no idea how great Charles Barkley was. Exactly. One of the greatest rebounders. Oh, he, he was tremendous. But but uh, he didn't win rings, and so he can't, he's not good. But but here's the point that I want to make about James Harden. Uh, his game is predicated on the step back three pointer and driving to the hole and getting fouled, right? So back in a few years ago, when he was winning his MVPs, he was averaging thirty points a game because he was taking a lot of step back threes and shooting maybe 18 to 20 free throws a game. And if you notice, the past two years, the referees have gone back from all these flopping calls and these guys that try to draw fouls a lot. So James Harden can't draw a lot of fouls. And and if you notice in the playoffs, they always kind of be lenient on those foul calls, they let him play. So James Harden always falls off in the playoffs because that's his game. He can't get to the free I think it's a great point. In other words, his game doesn't match up with postseason basketball. I think it's no, a great point. He can't, yeah. he can't get to the free throw line like he wanted because that's his game. Right. Now, You're right. And if a shot does not fall, what does James Harden have to go to? I, I agree. I think it's a great point. Um, you know, 
I, I think it's a great point. And, and you're right. They don't call as many fouls in the postseason, and it's harder to just win, win, win. But with the perimeter game, it's, you know, it's kind of like a home run hitting team that you not, when you get in the World Series, you're just not going to be able to live and die with the home run. And that's why some teams don't have success when they get in the playoffs. So I think it's an outstanding point. I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. That was a great call, so it was worth being a little late for, but we are, so we'll take a time out, and we'll come back, shift gears to Cokie Riley, talk LSU baseball, maybe even a few other things with Cokie. We'll be back on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Before we get to our special guest, want to remind you, you have basically run out of time today. This is it. If you want to register and put yourself into a position to possibly win Astro Weekend Getaway on May the 21st against the Texas Rangers to see how in the world can the Astros get Corey Seager out. I don't know because I, I just don't know how anybody gets Corey Seager out. But anyway, uh, the Astros Rangers, May 21st. You need to go to the game clubhouse. You need to do it today. Time has run out to register for this by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com where you could win four tickets, a ballpark tour, a Minute Maid Park, hotel accommodations in La Meridian, Houston, downtown. And the great Astro Weekend getaways are powered by Butcher Air Condition, La Meridian, Houston, downtown, and the game. All right, let's go to the phone lines and speak to our special guest, Mr. Cokie Riley. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well this morning. What's up, Kevin? All right. So I'm trying to figure out. I, I've, I've suspected this for a while, so I want to get your, your thoughts on this. When you get to this late in the season, and we've got, like for the Cajuns, you got two weeks left before Sunbelt Conference Tournament. LSU's got two weeks left for the SEC Tournament. In your mind, do these midweek games do anything at this point to help a team other than getting away, or am I looking at it wrong, you think? Um... For LSU specifically, I don't think these games have much bearing over anything, honestly. Uh, I mean, this week it's Southeast. They just played Southeastern um, last night, actually. And then Northwestern State is next week. So I, I don't think, if they, even if they win those games by a whole bunch of runs like they did last night, um, I, I don't think the outcome of either sort of uh, helps them in any sort of tangible way. I just don't know uh, why they think- schedule them this late. Because, like, it doesn't even, like, if you're Northwestern State or Southeast, and, it, you know, playing LSU is probably not that much of a novelty anymore because LSU's done an incredible job over the last 30 years of playing all the state schools over and over and even traveling to some of them. But um, 
in in the sport of baseball. And so it's not I don't you know, I don't even know if it help it's helping those teams because they've got their own concerns going into their conference tournament. I'm just surprised that there's still this many midweek games being scheduled this late in the season. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have a great rebuff for that because what you're saying makes a ton of sense. I mean, I don't really know what this totally does for Southeastern, or maybe if you're recruiting the school that you're like, oh, we're, we play LSU, you get to play at Alex Box Stadium every single year. I, I don't know. That that would be the only thing that I can come up with off the top of my head because it certainly ain't helping LSU at this point of the year, and it's not helping these teams when the game has to end after seven innings because. LSU beat Southeastern seventeen to three or something like that. Yeah, you know? it's it's. Uh, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't get it. All right, so I understand that when you're LSU in baseball, it's about going to the to the College World Series, and if LSU goes to a regional and gets beat, then it's going to be you know it's going to it's going to be ugly. But not knowing what's about to happen in the future, consider you had a new coach and all this transition. Do you would you say that right now, at thirty three and fifteen and fourteen and ten in the SEC, that it's about what should have been expected, a little better or a little worse? Hmm. Interesting question. Um, I would say it was. It should. It probably would have been around where you'd think a team this talented should be. Um, you factor in the first year coach. I think you factor in the fact that they had little to no starting pitching experience heading into the season, uh, and that has shown at various points during the year. I think heading into the season, you also probably would have said that the defense could be an issue, just given um, just just given the talent on the roster again. Uh, for example, someone like Jacob Berry, who doesn't totally have a position, just sliding at third base, for example. Um, they didn't really have a true center fielder heading into the year either. So I, I just feel like considering all those smaller things, um, that would have kind of dropped them down from this automatic 40 level, 40 win level team to somewhere so, to a team that might get the 40, which is kind of where they are right now. Um, because I, I mean, we talk about all these smaller concerns that at the end of the day, their offense heading into the year, we knew it was going to be absolutely loaded. It has proven to be that. Uh, I mean, Dylan Cruz is probably going to be the number one, number one overall pick in two years. Um, Jacob Berry had a, would, would, would be a top ten pick just based on his bat, but some of the glove concerns probably won't have him there. So I, I, I just feel like this offense is so good that it, it, this was it, that alone could could push them to this sort of level. And their bullpen's been excellent as well. So. Uh, it's kind of a combination of those two things. So now I know it's still a little early in quote unquote Ole Miss weekend, but since they're playing Ole Miss, have you heard any more explanation as to what in the world happened to them? Well, I mean, they lost a couple of their top pitchers from this past season. Doug Nozaki, uh, Gunnar Hogland in the first round. Uh, he tore his UCL, so they didn't have him for all season anyway. Um, and Jacob Gonzalez is no longer there from last season. I mean, they've had to survive a couple injuries during this season as well. I mean, Ke- Kevin Graham, he's back, but he missed some games with a with a hurt wrist. And they've been just kind of mediocre um, at the plate and on the mound. I mean, they're eighth in batting average, ninth in ERA in the in the SEC. 
they've been beating up on some work, on some weaker teams this year. Um, but when they've played some of the strong, some stronger competition, they've kind of struggled. I mean, lost two out of three to Arkansas. Um, they lost the first, I believe they lost the first three series in SEC play as well. So I, I just feel like this is a team that's just kind of in a refresh mode, I, I guess, if for, for lack of a better word. They're um, you know, t- taking one step back to take two steps forward. Um, not a disastrous season. Um, I, I think the sweep over Missouri this week kind of proves that they're not at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC. Uh, Missouri is, matter of fact. But <laughs> anyway, uh, they could win this series against LC. It's not impossible. Um, I wouldn't bet on it at all. I, I would probably lean more lean toward LSU um, getting a potential sweep at home. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it hasn't been the greatest of seasons for Ole Miss, but I still think they can make the tournament. So if LSU, where they, if in your mind, are they already hosting or? Like, if they could just win four of these last six SEC games, to me, that would do it. Or what do you, or, or where do you think that line is to where you say, okay, they're hosting region? Or you think they're already there? Um, right now in the rankings, they are on the cusp. <laughs> like, quite literally, right? So 16 teams host a region. And if you look at the national rankings, they're 18th in RPI, 17th in D1 baseball, 14th in Baseball America. 17th in college, according to collegiate baseball, and 17th in the U.S. Today coaches poll. So, on average, they're roughly 16 or 17 right now. Um, uh, so it's so they are literally right there on the cusp. All they really need to do, kind of what you said. I mean, I mean, if they win the next seven games, which is possible, not likely. I think almost certainly host the region almost no matter what happens in the SEC tournament. Um, or, and if they just, you know, win uh, with their next, win four of the next six games within conference play, then yeah, I, they have a pretty good shot of doing it. Um, I, I, I just feel like that Vanderbilt series in the last series of the year is going to be really huge. Because Vanderbilt, I believe they're fourth right now in the RPI. And uh, in a series victory over a team that high in that in those pretty important rankings, I think that's going to go a long way to determining um, their their own spot in the RPI. That's going to be a road series if they can somehow win that series, which I think is possible um, given some of the how hot and cold Vanderbilt's offense has been this season. I think they've got a real 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 shot of hosting even before we get to the SEC tournament. Even if they don't get it done and we head into the SEC tournament, they win a couple of games there, then that should do it as well. So, I mean, um, I just look at it. I understand RPI is important, but this we're talking about the SEC. So, in other words, mm-hmm. if LSU finishes third or fourth in the in – the, I'm not talking about the division. I'm talking about in the whole SEC. Then yeah. they're going to – at least four SEC teams are going to host. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I mean, I would certainly say so. Yes, absolutely. So I would think that they're, they're pretty safe. It just seems a little strange to me, and and maybe you studied this a little more than I have. I, I haven't really studied it, but it just seems like, you know, with no Mississippi State uh, probably this year or no Ole Miss in terms of hosting, there's not a lot of host sites within like six or seven hours of here, is there normally, or it seems to me. Like, yeah, I, you're who right. Who do you think's going to host? <laughs> I mean, if you look at some of the other, 
I mean, yeah, you're 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 like Houston sometimes has a regional. I don't I mean, am I I, I don't see I mean, Texas, maybe Uh, Dallas Baptist may host like who else is going to host in this region? Um, I think Dallas Baptist, who doesn't make the top 16. I think Texas is a very good candidate because Texas is kind of in the same boat as LSU in terms of if you look at the national rankings. Um, I think those would probably be your two best bets. Uh, I mean, I think they're probably they're too good to go to Arkansas, in, in my opinion. Um, LS, LSU, that is. Even though LSU is actually ahead of Arkansas in the RPI rankings, which is really interesting. But they're behind. But they're obviously well behind them in some of the other rankings. Um, and Arkansas has been kind of linked as more top five team outside of that numbers based only ranking, which is the RPI. So yeah, it's it's uh, I, again, like you said, it just just to make it simple for LSU uh, LSU's sakes and for LSU fans' sakes, if LSU can beat Vanderbilt and at least beat Ole Miss in these two series. They're probably going to host a region. If they don't, then they're going to need a win or two in the SEC tournament. And if we make it that simple, I think that's what it goes down to, given where Vanderbilt's spot in the RPI is, given how strong the SEC has been. Um, I mean, all, all those sort of things is, are, are, are kind of what drives my conclusion as to how, how kind of their fate's in their own hands, I guess, so to say. What is before I let you go? Just something else that I, I've thought of. Uh, what What is your early kind of uh, perception it, 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 in, with Coach Johnson? Do you think he's really loving? Like, does it seem like he's really loving the you know being at LSU, being in an SEC school, the, or? Uh, with all the pressure that goes into the high expectations they have here. What, what, what's your early sense on how he's kind of adjusting in this first season at LSU? I think he's adjusting fine. Um, so the thing you have to understand about Coach Johnson is he's a California guy. Um, I went to Arizona City for four years. I understand California people. Uh, people from California are in Arizona all the time, whether they go to the school or whether whether they're just living there. It's a stone throw away. It's close, close by. And the thing about like true people from California is that they don't get rattled by anything. And sometimes it's even frustrating how little they get rattled by stuff. Um, and Coach Johnson is exactly that sort of way, but in the good way. Uh, he just doesn't get rattled. He's the same guy when they lose, and the same guy pretty much when they win is. Oh, uh, I guess with the one exception being. Uh, the the Cade Doty walk off win from a week or two ago against Georgia. I, I mean, he there he's it's remarkable how level headed and uh, I, I I don't want to say unemotional, but um, yeah, just level headed he is. So I I just feel like he's handling the expectations really really well, and uh, there's no reason for me to think that um, that's going to change anytime soon because I I think kind of. Going back to what we were talking about earlier, he has more or less hit what uh, LSU fans would or, sh- or should expect from this first season, um, given the talent that they have. So, I, yeah, I, I think he's done um, more than more than a fine enough job in terms of handling expectations, mostly because that's just in terms of his personality, he's going to be able to handle handle it better than. Uh, most people, I think, at least. 
All righty. Well, we'll see what happens this weekend. And like you say, look, Vanderbilt's his program is at a at a point where um, even though for them it may be a little bit of a down year, it's just fun playing a program, you know, two programs that have accomplished as much as they have, both these two programs have accomplished. So next week's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll see what happens with Ole Miss this week. Appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again, Kevin. All right. Koki Riley of the USA Today Network. And I, I, I thought that was a um, interesting answer on Coach Johnson. I, you know, I just, I don't know him. And and I haven't covered them to be able to really get a feel for how it seems to be working. But uh, Koki obviously has a very good um, sense that, that, that it's going very well. You know, early on, it was, there was some grumblings because of the bad defense, but uh, it seems to be working out very well. And if LSU, especially if they sweep Ole Miss, like he's talking Really, I, I just think they need to finish in the top four, and they're going to hose. I don't. I just don't think RPI plays into it with, with 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 top three or four or five SEC teams. I just I don't think it it really matters. RPI just doesn't play doesn't come into factor in the committee's mind to me. Uh, in with those with those top three or four or five SEC teams. All right, we'll take another timeout. We'll come back. With more on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Also, reminder the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get into college baseball, which we just did with Koki. And also, we before that, we were discussing the NBA playoffs and and I thought Darren had a just a fabulous call. It's true, I, but but again, and, and for those who missed it, what we talked we were talking about is James Harden and how you know his many postseason failures. And Darren's point was great. The things that he does, James Harden does, is goes to the free throw line, which you don't do. They allow more rough play in the playoffs and, you know, shoot a bunch of perimeter shots, which typically uh, shooting percentages go down uh, a lot of times because the play gets more physical in the postseason. So, in other words, he doesn't match up in the postseason. Well, again, that makes total sense and explains a lot. I agree. So why would an NBA GM want to acquire him if they want to have postseason success. I, I just don't don't quite get all of that. But anyway, uh, any any thoughts that you have on those subjects, please feel free to give us a call on on the game hotline. Um, before we get to anything else, want to remind you, the game will be broadcasting live from Lake Charles this Saturday. For the This Is Home Festival, 
Under the Dome host, Clint Domain, will be broadcasting his live show from 9 to 11 from Ryan Street, downtown Lake Charles, for the This Is Home Festival. There are going to be music all day, uh, food vendors, wine, all kind of things. So tune in to Under the Dome, live from Lake Charles this Saturday, or swing by if you're in the area and say hi to the world-famous CD at the This Is Home Festival in Lake Charles. Um Speaking of Ryan, he pitched last night. He had gotten off to a fabulous start for the Twins. From a fantasy perspective, I was I, I kept saying, man, just something about this guy intrigues me. Should I pull the trigger on him or not? And I ended up not doing it. He's gotten off to a, a hot start until last night's performance when he had control issues. Really, all the Twins really, all the Twins pitchers really struggled to throw strikes last night. But, um. Again, it's so hard to evaluate pitchers now. And is Major League Baseball going to do something with this ball the second half, or are they going to keep playing with this same dead ball? I mean, I I don't know what they're going to do, but it, it, it really makes evaluating early season baseball is hard to evaluate anyway to me. And it makes it even more complicated with this issue that they're, they, you know, they're suddenly playing with a dead ball that so many player uh, people are complaining about. But just for a little perspective, look at it this way: I'm saying that it's not going to really matter in terms of, in my opinion, evaluate. I'm going to wait until late June, July before I start really evaluating like who's really having a good season, who's really, because it's so much, it just seems like there's some fools going all these great pitching performances. By that time, Major League Baseball would essentially have played an entire college baseball season. You know, 60-something games. For you know, I guess some people get to seventy, but for almost everybody who doesn't get all the way to the finals, basically will have played an entire college baseball season before I'm saying, well, we're gonna really be able to get to figure out what what we got here with these pitchers. It's amazing. It's just unbelievably amazing how different baseball is than the other sports. It, it's just, and again, that's what the old cliche, that's baseball. I, I I haven't done it much on the air here, but recently, but I used to do it a lot more often, and, and I thought it was great. You know, way many years ago, going way back to like late 80s, early 90s, I covered LSU baseball a little bit, and that was like when LSU, ba- just because we had, basically because of Lyle Mouton, who was just obviously an outstanding player at St. Thomas More baseball and basketball and went to um, went to LSU and uh, played basketball and baseball and played, you know, some fabulously talented basketball teams and some really good LSU baseball teams. And so I, I covered LSU, not a lot, because I was covering the Cajuns baseball a lot of the time, but, a, you know, a fair amount. And back then, and I still love saying it because I just think it's hilarious, you know, most of the media were 
we're still we're football guys. I mean, that's just that's the way it is. Most of the media, even today, but it really was the case back then. A lot of them are football guys, and uh, they'd ask a question in post game little interviews, and 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 Skip Bertman with the way he is, he would say, "Well, that's a that's a football question," and uh, I, I just thought about that when I was talking. <laughs> it's like. That's a foot. This is baseball. That's a. This is not football. And uh, I, I think it's hilarious, but it's just so much truth to it. It's just the sports are so different. And you know, I was th- talking about comparing sports and me struggling with the perceptions of the differences in these sports. You know, I, one of the other things I've been saying a lot lately in the last few months is is QWs, quarterback worshipers. And we're in an era right now where football, uh, so many people nationally, most, like they think, they essentially think that the game of football is a game of horse between quarterbacks. And everybody else doesn't really matter that much. It's all about the quarterbacks. It, 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 it's, it's, it's incredibly off base in my opinion. But the point I'm getting to is look at, look at this series between the Mavs and the Suns. Most people think and would agree that the best player in that series is Luka. And yet, most people think that the Suns are going to win the series. And that's basketball. Where there's only five people on the court. And the ba- the the best player in the series, i.e. the quarterback in this comparison, is probably not going to win the series because the best team is the Suns. And that's what only five players on the court at a time. In football, you have 20, 30-something players and all these different roles, and it's so complex. So much goes into winning the game. And yet, if you got the best quarterback, then all these people are convinced that you're going to win, and they're all QWs. It just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't add up to me. I just don't get how so many people believe this. When in basketball, that one player can't even do it. With only five people on the court, how can one player do it? When you have 20, you know, all the different facets and 20, 30 players counting special teams for football. It's amazing to me. But there are QWs everywhere. They're just ever just falling out of the trees. I can't fight them all. They kill me. We'll take a timeout. We'll be back on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
wants to remind you about Half Shell Oyster House. If you go to the website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, you could win and join the game clubhouse. You could win a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Could give you a great opportunity or an idea on game night. I don't know if you're like me and or my family or you know one of the pr- biggest problems we have is okay we want to go eat okay where are we going to go well if you want a gift certificate to a great place like half shell oyster house then that decision's made for it. you don't have to sit there and argue about oh this person likes this and this person doesn't like that that happens all the time in our family it's hard to please everyone but if you win a gift certificate it becomes really easy so if you want to win the 50 dollars gift certificate to half shell oyster house you got to go to the website and join the game clubhouse today. All right. So we've got, we'll continue. You know, we don't, we talk more about the NFL, like a lot of shows than anything. And, and down here, we talk a lot more college baseball and softball because uh, those are significant sports down here, but we, we want to continue to, to follow the NBA. I, I, um, I kind of buy the logic that, the winner of the Mavs Sun Series, which I think is going to be the Suns, is going to go to the finals, but they're going to have to prove it. You know, some people are high on the Warriors. It's going to be, um, it, it's, you know, still some things to be decided, and it'll be kind of interesting to see how that plays out. All right, that does it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Live here. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706 0111. 706 0111. Any minute now, the Cajun softball team. We'll begin its play in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament against Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, just a couple weeks ago, was in Lafayette. And actually, I thought, competed pretty well in that series. They got swept. But they weren't like, you know, I don't believe they had a run rule in any of the three games. They were all like five to nothing, six to two, one kind of, you know, not like last at bat kind of stuff, but also not run rules. So I, I thought they competed fairly well in that series. Now, they have a pitcher who threw a four-hit shutout at Monroe yesterday and who was the who was the reigning, was named last week as the pitcher of the week from the week before, not from the Cajun weekend, because the Cajuns kind of roughed her up pretty good in the two outings she had. Uh, the weekend before that um, in Lafayette. So will she pitch again coming off before his shutout? I don't know. 
you know, we'll see how how I haven't actually looked at that before, uh, since we've been on the air. But you know, we'll give you a few updates if as scoring updates as we um, get them before we get off the air. But I want to address, you know. Um, some subjects probably on, on on one hand not as pleasant, but also depending on how you look at it, um, something that that just kind of needs to be done. I, Bob Lanier, I did not know this till this morning. Bob Lanier died yesterday. I didn't know that. I, I don't somehow I, I it, it 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 slipped by me. But um, Bob Lanier, by the way, if you some people know Bob Lanier because of the crazy movie from what the seventies or eighties, the movie airplane and Kareem had the famous line about running up and down the court with Lanier. But, um, he was the number one overall pick in 1970, uh, from St. Bonaventure, uh, ended up being an eight-time All-Star, averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds over a 15-year career. Now, I, I I I knew who Bob Lanier was in the 70s when I was eight and nine and 10 and, and becoming an NBA fan, you know, as, as a young kid. But he played on the Pistons, and the Pistons weren't very good. Now, later in his career, he went to the Bucks. And like I said, I've always kind of liked the Bucks. You know, I always liked the Lakers way more than the Bucks, and probably even the Sixers a little more. But my next favorite team that I kind of rooted for was the Bucks because they they either competed, either beat the Celtics or competed against the Celtics. So to me, that made them good people. And plus, they played at the Mecca. I was always I always thought the Mecca was cool. Like I said, I've got a close friend. He hates the Mecca, and I just. I just don't get it because I always thought the Mecca was just cool. So I always kind of liked the Bucks. I like Sidney Moncrief. Um, you know, they had Pressy and that bunch. So I, I I watched him a little more and, and, and could appreciate. Now, he was actually a better player when he played with the Pistons. Again, he played in the era where centers were a big part of this, what was going on. He was, I think he was an offensive center. Um... So he was a better player with the Pistons, but he played on some pretty good Bucks teams. You know, Brian Winters. He played on some good Bucks teams. And so they had, um, they weren't as good. I talked about that a lot last summer or whatever summer that was that we argued about the Bulls and the, and all of that. Those Bucks teams were, were better, in my opinion, than those Suns and Blazers and and those teams that 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 the, the Bulls were beating in the in the in the in the eighty I mean in the nineties because they they just happened to be behind all time great Sixer teams and Celtic teams in the Eastern Conference they just can never break through but those teams were good um, and so I just wanted to to mention that um, Bob Lanier. Uh, I I don't know how I missed it, but I I didn't notice that until this morning that he had passed away yesterday in '73. I mean, I'm, I would have thought he was older than that just because that's it had been so long since he played. But I guess the numbers all add up. Let's go back to the game hotline and uh, talk to James. Hello. 
Footsie. Yes, sir. Footsie, I told Hannah I got to fuss at you. Okay. You're making some assumptions that you don't need to be made or some generalizations. I mean, you, 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 I mean, you're just saying stuff that they're just generalizations. I mean, we got to have facts here. Just because LSU won two out of three games, do you know how they lost the second game against University of Alabama? They got beat pretty badly. Yeah. You want to know why? Okay. Errors. Don't, don't think just because they won two games that they, they, they all of a sudden quit making errors. Because here's what happened. First off, Blake Money, he never even he never even got out of the first inning. Right. He, he faced five. He faced five batters. They scored a run, and the bases were still loaded. He he never got one out. This is their Saturday starter. So then they bring in this other boy. They bunt the ball. He ran over that field the way he threw it into right field. I mean, it, it was it was it was disgusting. I mean, trust me. They still making errors. Then on Sunday, Dutton, he never got out of the first inning. They pitched Dutton last night against Southeastern. Now, as far as the uh, Raging Cajuns go, hey, UTA was an RPI killer. This team, Rice, RPI killer. The Cajuns were number like, they were like number 45 before, before they played UTA. They went all the way down to number 50. Their strength of schedule went from 30 after the first game. Okay, before the first game, it was 30. Then it went to 40. Then it went to 50. Then it went to 60. Last night, it went to number 73. These teams here, they're they killing the Cajuns. They're killing the Cajuns' chances for our large bid. Yeah, I mean, but again, you ha- that's why you have to be smarter. Like, your non-conference strength of schedule – should mean way more than your conference strength of schedule because you have no control over your conference schedule. Well, I I ain't the one doing the selecting, but I, I don't think it's the just Cajuns silliness. Can, well, I don't think the Cajuns can get a large bid at this well, point. I think they I, I think they can. I, I you know they have enough Not as today. they call they have enough as they call. Q1 and Q2 wins. And again, their non-conference strength of schedule is still outstanding. I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I, I think they can't. Now, again, they have to win. I mean, they need to they need to sweep Little Rock. Like, if they sweep Little Rock and they and, – and I don't know if they'll win two out of three, but let's say they win two out of three and then get to, like, the Con- Sunbelt Conference Tournament Finals. I think You're they'll win. two out of three against Texas State? Yeah, I don't know that they will. But even if they just win one out of three against Texas State, if they sweep Little Rock and, like, get to the tournament finals and and, and lose, I think they're in. I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be very, very close because they're, they're, like I said, Little Rock's going to kill, going to be a strength of schedule killer because they They like number 200 and something now. But again, when you're trying to judge the worth of a team, how could you be such a moron as to say, you know what, their non-strength of, um, their non their 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 non-conference strength of schedule is really good, and they've got X number of wins on the road, they've got X number of wins against 
the, the Q1 schools and the Q2 schools. Okay, but they beat but they beat but they beat Little Rock and Little Rock's terrible and they beat UTA and they're terrible. So they can't get in. I mean, think about how ignorant that is. Well, OK, first of all, Georgia Southern's number six. OK, Texas State's number thirty five. Right, and Georgia Southern. Carolina is Georgia like Southern got beat two out of three by the Cajuns, and it should have been three out of three. It's not for one sure stupid inning; they'd have swept them. Yeah, but Georgia, I'm gonna tell you this right now: Dallas Baptist at number three, they not hosting. Georgia Southern at number six, they not hosting. Vanderbilt's twelve and twelve in the conference. That series between LSU and Vanderbilt could be huge. Because LSU is number sixteen right now. LSU's fourteen and ten. They need they really what they need to do is sweep Ole Miss. Because I don't know if LSU with the pitching they got, which is nothing. Okay, they got Hilliard on Friday night. Like I said, uh they if, better not even start Blake Money on uh on Saturday. If, this boy here if got, Vanderbilt and LSU both finish second in their divisions, they're locks to host. They they're gonna host. Well, they're SEC teams. Well, they got to have a winning record in conference. Florida is number thirteen. They're eleven and thirteen in conference. L- I, I mean, LSU took two out of three. I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't think a losing record in conference is going to get you a whole spot. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, but why LSU's four over with six to go? How are they going to get a losing record? Well, they, they better be. I'm just telling you this right now. What is it? Okay, so. Yeah, if they beat Ole Miss two out of three, then 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 I think they got a they got a shot. Because I'm telling you, going to Vanderbilt, they 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 I don't know if they're gonna win a game at Vanderbilt because their pitching is so bad. I, I'm just telling you, I watched all three games last week. I, I ain't speaking in just just assumptions and generalities. I'm speaking from from what I saw. I mean, when you when you don't have when you only got one starting pitcher. I mean that that ain't too good. Now look, they can't. They you your starting pitcher has to give you at least three or four innings. I'm with you, and I mentioned that earlier this week. But I said as long as their starting pitchers just even if they just give them that three innings, the postseason is not about starting pitching. It's about bullpen and hitting. Well, Blake Money gave two and a third to start before that, so he's going two and a third and zero. No, that's, that's I, what he's done his but, last two outings. But is he even going to get a start in the postseason? Well, I don't know. I don't know. They, they they started Dutton on Sunday, who was their regular starter. He didn't get out the first inning. They pitched him last night. Huh. They must be thinking, all right, we maybe Ty Floyd. They maybe they're going to try Ty Floyd this week. I don't know. I don't know who they're going to start. I mean, they're going to start Hilliard on Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday. I assume it's TBA. Probably because. so. But again, I think they again, you you your starting pitchers need to go more. You got to get out of the first inning. But as long as they get just 3 innings out of them. Their yeah, bullpen's good three, enough. Yeah, I know their bullpen's good enough. It's good and their hitting is good enough. They're going to be fine. Well, that that uh, boy from uh, Arizona uh, 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 broke his finger. Is the, the tip of his finger. So he's not playing right now. Jacob Barry. Barry broke his finger. Did you know that? Well, I heard he had an injury. I didn't know how serious it was. No, I didn't know. Well, he broke he broke the tip of his finger. 
just tell, I, I'm just so, so you think that LSU's not going to host? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you they need to win two out of three versus Ole Miss. And they, 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 their pitching has to get better. They have to have better starting pitch. Uh, I'm just I'm I'm just telling you what I what I've seen with my own two eyes the last two weekends. I mean, I understand, you know, but in the bit has been mad at me lately. No, I'm not mad at you, but I mean, I told Hannah. Hannah is very pleasant. <laughs> Hannah is very very pleasant. But I, but I told Hannah I had to fuss at you. For <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I don't mind being rebuked. Just don't stay mad. No, I'm not saying mad. I mean, I'm all fired up. I mean, uh, I got to go watch Justin Verlander pitch, man. This dude threw a one hitter last night. Ooh, man, I'm glad he gave up that hit. I don't like no hit. I don't like no hitters on the first game of a nine game road trip. Well, and then, and then the fight no Tani's. The fight no Tani's threw a no hitter. The, the fight no Tani's are are um, do, one of the few teams in Major League Baseball. They them cats are scoring runs like crazy. By the way, have you seen Jeremy Pena play yet? I am not. Ooh. I am not. I can't even believe how good that kid is so far. Unbelievable. You're talking about the shortstop? Shortstop, yes. Unbelievable. Cat's a main well, black no. bear. No, I can't see him play. We don't get it. The cat is a main black bear. He in and, and, and right now, it's very early, but he leads all American League shortstops in home runs and RBIs. And he's playing defense. And he's hitting in the clutch. And he can run the Man, bases. What? Wasn't that good to get rid of Correa, want all that money, and then get to get a, a player on, on, on basically major league no, baseball it, minimum wage? Uh, it's uh, it, it, it's incredible. But now we just got to figure out how in the world we're gonna get uh, Corey Seager because man, is that guy good? Ooh. But we got they plays for the Rangers though. Oh, I know, but they fortunately they can't pitch. But man, is Corey Seager good? Man. Well, all right. I can watch Corey. I can watch Corey Seager every night. I watch him every night. <laughs> Channel thirty eight comes on every night. They play in the Kansas City Royals. You see, Footsie, I'm keeping up. I know what's going on. Okay, but all right, Footsie. All right. So, 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 just keeping them in, in account. Dallas Baptist and Georgia Southern. They not hosting. No, Georgia Southern's right not hosting. Host. But I, but I think Dallas Baptist is going to host. Yes. Okay, we'll see. All right. All right. All right. And and, and, okay, thanks, Bill. And LSU is going to host. And Vanderbilt's going to host. I believe all that stuff. But we'll see. Let's take a time out. We'll be back on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 11th, 2008. Sergio Garcia of Spain claims the biggest win of his career to date in a sudden death playoff over American Paul Goidos at PGA Players Championship held at TPC at Sawgrass. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's 
Sports Station. The game hotline is 706-0111. Want to remind you about Downtown Rising. If you would like to win VIP passes and a chance to meet the Cold War kids, simply need to register for the Game Rewards Club. 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win MVP passes to Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Raider Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All right. I want to give you an update from Mobile. Not so much to score because it's nothing, nothing after one inning. But the, the encouraging thing is that hitting in the four hole today is Sophie Piscos, who was an injury question coming into this because she injured, uh, hyperextended her knee in Monroe this past weekend. Alexa Langoliers, we knew was playing, but just to, along the injury theme, is um, is hitting in the five hole. And she was injured earlier this year. Jordan Campbell, who's been playing with a brace on her, on her knee, is hitting in the three hole and playing third base. Raina O'Neill, who's missed most of the last two seasons with different hand and wrist injuries, is hitting um, in the eight hole and uh, and playing left field. And Maddie Hayden, who injured her ankle running over first base, what was that about a week and a half, two weeks ago, <coughs> is uh, is playing playing center field and hitting in the nine hole. So all the injured. Pl- Player questions. Um, how long are they going to play? How effectively they're going to play? We don't know. We just know that they're they're in the starting lineup. By the way, Megan Shorman is starting today's game um, in the circle, and Samantha Grader is playing right field. So interesting lineup that uh, we've got going here with um, with Grader and right. And O'Neill in left, and Maddie Hayden in in center. But again, the significant news of all of that is that all the injured question marks are all playing. In you know, we'll see if they if they make every game or how many games they make. But uh, certainly, um, at least that's somewhat encouraging news for the Cajuns because they just they you know they have had so many injuries last year. Um, and then. They kind of been getting a lot of those pesky kind of injuries lately, and we'll see if if they can continue to overcome them. All right, um, another situation that I wanted to address today, not on the NBA Hall of Fame level of a Bob Lanier, but here locally speaking. Today, uh, this afternoon in Crawley, they're going to have a funeral service for former Northside head wrestling coach, and head football coach, and for the um, not for the last four or five years, he's kind of been retired. But for most of the you know this century, he started in two thousand one, uh, being an assistant coach at Notre Dame and Ricky Vicknair. And it it's so it's interesting when, when you get old like me, you know, coaches that you covered over the years, talked to over the years and 
in this case, had some run-ins over the years. And then you get old and, and unfortunate things like, like this happen with, with Coach Vic Nair passing away. And I did a story at theadvocate.com and, and um, in the Acadiana Advocate today just with people who played for him and coached with him, their comments about the impact that he had. And first of all, just look at the Northside Wrestling Program and some of the, really, in, in the case of Daniel Cormier, world-famous people that that played, you know, that, that came out of that program that, that he, you know, starred. I mean, he was, when, when wrestling first came, he, he, he didn't, he was not a wrestling expert, but... Uh, was the wrestling coach and grew the program and kind of taught the ropes to to Tank, Coach Lotif, his, who ended up being his his brother-in-law. And then Tank became a very good uh, wrestling coach in this area and throughout the state. And, and Daniel came through there, played linebacker um, for Coach Vicknair at Northside as well as wrestling. And then, you know... Um, Got a chance to talk to Bryson Bernard, better known as Cupert, and he. It's all I don't get to talk to him very often. We run into each other. I don't know once a couple times a year maybe, and uh, it's always good to see him. And he had a lot of good things to say about Coach Vicknair too. But I can remember. I don't even know the year. Things are not like they used to be uh, in what we call the good old days of high school athletics. Uh, many years ago. You know, it used to be more of an all-night affair and on a high school football Friday night, and we'd, you know, we'd stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning putting, getting all the results in and trying to get it in the paper. And it, things, you know, thing, the newspaper, everything's so different now. But anyway, in the good old days, we used to do that. And so we had this uh, this little tradition or routine that we'd go eat like, uh, I don't know, I hop later, but in that era we would go to Shoney's or you know one of those. Um, there used to be a Shoney's on the throughway. I think the building's still there, but the restaurant's not uh, in use anymore. And one night we went eat out on I don't know. It was probably again three in the morning or something, and we go eat the breakfast buffet. Uh, at Shoney's after a long night of covering high school football and putting the paper out, and Coach Vignair was in there. And Coach Vignair was a. Uh, a lot of people would call him ornery. Probably had a little Ernest T. Bass in him. And, um, and you know, for whatever reason, had some sort of beef with how we were covering something or didn't cover something, whatever it was. And, you know, we had like a little shout match and all that. And, and I, but it wasn't like an anger thing for me once it was over. And I think once that, it, it, it calmed down, and I, I think in times he realized that um, whatever made him angry wasn't something that we were, you know, I, I think in his, his version was what I say about ESPN division. I think he thought he we were the high, you know, really – the high, the local high school version of all we cared about was the ESPN division, and and I think in time he realized that wasn't the case. But I could always respect the passion that he had about his school and his players, and and you know just wanting to for them to get the 
the respect or the recognition or whatever that that they, that that he needed. He ended up, you know, the last almost twenty years of his coaching career was at a school coaching under Coach Cook, where he he didn't have to fight that fight. You know, when when you're at Northside, you're just you're fighting the fight. When you're at a lot of schools, you're fighting the fight. You go to Notre Dame, you could just coach football. And but but when you look back at Coach Vic Nair's legacy and 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 you know coaching an Adam Bomb, you know he was a defensive coordinator on that infamous 1984 Northside High football team that we talk about here and there. And obviously that team had loads of speed. They went. They played the famous state quarterfinal game at Lutcher, 1984. What did they win? 74 to 21. Unbelievable. But 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 they also played defense too. And um, it was um, you know, and you know, again, he started wrestling there, and 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 had a good decade of as a head football coach from 89 to 99. So I just wanted to to mention that. Tell that little story, and um, obviously, want to have your thoughts and prayers towards that family as they deal with his passing and his former players and all the ones that think very highly of him, former coaches that he coached with. Uh, as Coach Cook put it, he was a football coach in every sense of the word, old school football coach in every sense of the word. So, um, he certainly left his mark, and I uh, just wanted to recognize that. All right, this is what we're going to do. Take a timeout. When we come back, shift gears, talk to our old buddy Tommy Battle. Tommy Battle knows who Coach Ricky Vignari is. Uh, but, no, we'll talk to our old coach, um, old friend Tommy Battle, who's Cajun. He's an assistant coach for the UL Tracks team, and they're going to be hosting the Sunbelt Conference track meet this weekend. So we'll be talking about that and other things with Tommy Battle next on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching Mop Up Time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry, we have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Before we get to our special guest, I want to remind you about the Cajun Heartland State Fair. If you would like to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair, scheduled for May 26th through June the 5th, this is what you need to do. Text CHSF. The first letter of Cajun Heartland State Fair, CHSF to 68683. 
Text CHSF to 68683. You might win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair thanks to the game. All right, we have with us Coach Tommy Battle. How are you, sir? Actually, got Coach Bando. Oh, all right. I didn't know that. (laughs) All right, so now we can really talk Saints. You know, I can talk a little Saints with Coach Battle, but with Coach Battle, we can really. So when we had you all in for the draft, everything went as planned. Did you like it? I did. The first two uh, picks went exactly like we had said. I predicted that one perfectly. Wasn't overly happy with the third pick. Honestly, I thought we needed a running back. But, you know, whatever. He seems to be a good athlete, so hopefully he can help us. You know, uh, since you brought that up, I, I kind of want Daryl Williams, you know, from the Chiefs. And, and, and they tried to get Sony Michelle, but um, he went to the Dolphins. Tyson Williams was, was, was not tendered yesterday by the Ravens. He's a young player. Maybe that's a running back they can look at. But I, I kind of hope they get Daryl Williams. Well, we need somebody. I mean, I don't. I mean, once Kamara leaves for six games, but you know it's going to happen. I just don't know if we can really trust everybody behind them. But if they get Jarvis and West Chandler, as I call Chris Alave, turns out to be what I what most of us think he's going to be. Um, this could be fun. This could be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. Actually, <laughs> it's the first time that you can get excited about a draft for the Saints. You know, so oh. now it's just let's hope nobody rolls an ankle between now and the start of camp. Absolutely. All right, so tell us, Sunbelt Conference Tournament is um, uh, not a tournament. This isn't. Uh, the Sunbelt Conference track meet is going to be in Lafayette starting tomorrow. So first of all, is this something that in the sport of track where it means a lot of extra work for you, hosting, or do other people take care of that and you just get all advantage from hosting? Uh, no, I mean, as coaches, it's it, not great. You know, we spend a lot of time uh, setting everything up, but at some point I do. I go hands off and say, hey, you guys got it. I'm just, I'm just another team visiting just like uh, everybody else. But I tell you what, not having to get on the bus for eight hours and go to, Ar- to Jonesboro, Arkansas, or something like that, it really means a lot. I don't, I don't think people realize how much of a toll just getting on the bus and driving for eight hours does. You know, so we're familiar settings, get to, uh, you know, eat at home, sleep at home. That, that really goes a long way. Especially when you're in the sport of track and field, where you're talking about the preciseness of running and jumping and throwing and everything you're doing, I would think that matters a lot. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about, hey, I feel good. I'm, I'm 95%. Well, that's not good enough. You, you better be 100 or these, these guys are going to beat you. You know, I mean, it's, it's, that, it's that close. It's that razor thin. Now, how, how good have you been over the years to gauging exactly what it takes to finish this place, this place, or that place, or, or what the schools are to be? Is it pretty predictable, or how good have you gotten at that over the years? Oh. You know, you kind of have a pretty good idea where you're going to be. And the same thing, track really doesn't lie. You kind of look at numbers. Now, the numbers can lie. I mean, some you know, some teams have run hundreds and two hundreds and humongous tailwinds, and we're like, yeah, they're not beating us. You know, so you have a pretty good idea. This year is a little bit different because, I, from what I understand, a lot of teams are beat up. So, you know, it's hard to look at the, the conference rankings and go, okay, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. You know, this might be more fun than anything. So what 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 does it look like on the men's and women's side as far as 
the teams to beat. And, you know, it's so – it's for someone who's not uh, an expert track person like you, it's like there's so many events, and yet what really matters, I guess, is the is the big picture, the team picture. But there's so many events that go into that. And so uh, just talk about who are, the, who are the teams to beat on both sides. Um, on the men's side, it looks like a three-team race. Arkansas State always has a good team. Uh, Texas State has a pretty good team, and then we have a really good team. And we're probably as healthy as we've been all year. So I kind of like our chances of, of being really competitive and have a real shot at the end. Um, women, women's side is kind of the same thing. Arkansas State looks pretty good. Texas State looks pretty good. Uh, uh, Coastal Carolina is excellent. They're just not very deep. So those would be your top three, and us, us in there really kind of competing for that, that, you know, being that fourth team trying to break into the top three. We just had a bunch of injuries on the women's side. We're not healthy on the women's side. So especially on the men's side, what are there like two or three or four events that are like, all right, we think we got this here, probably not real good here, here, and here, but are there just a couple of events that are going to be the swing to determine whether you can maybe really contend for first or second or or, or be settling more for third or fourth? Yeah, um, I have two two events that I'm really looking looking at on the third day, and that's the triple jump and the men's four and the hurdles. I think we can score really big in those events. So if we can stay close, and, and the first day is not going to necessarily be a great start for us, but we, we should qualify a bunch of people into that last day. Um, but once we get to those events, if we're close, I mean, we're going to come in on the four to hurdles and go one, two, and we can very well do the same thing in the triple. And all of a sudden we throw 36 points on people. So what is it going to take? Do you think team total wise team total? I'm hoping 130. Cause I think that's where we're going to be. Um, Arkansas state's predicted just go straight down the list for about 144 right now. Um, Texas State's about 122. Like I said, I think we can get to 130. Um, but, you know, that's, that's razor thin. You don't know. I mean, one injury can change the whole complexion for anybody. All right. So as far as hosting, we talked about the actual realistic logistics of it. But is that why is that happening? Is that like a is it a rotational deal or is it a bid process? How exactly uh did, did you get to the point where uh, you were hosting? Uh, outdoor track is actually a bid process. So we bidded on this five years ago, actually. Um, and we were supposed to have it two years ago, and that ended up being the year that everything was shut down with COVID. So instead of giving it to us last year, they went to South Alabama, who was in the rotation, and then finally coming back to us. And uh, if someone is out there and is a big track and field fan, or they just want to go to a conference event that it, it, you know that is so close to home, what do they need to do to um, for to, to to participate and to sh- and to uh, go to this event? Well, it's it's free admission, so uh, you know we're all day long on Thursday and Friday, and and more of an evening thing and. Uh, on the Saturday, but if you can really think about from about four to seven every night, that's when the main running events are going on. Uh, most of your field events are before that. Um, so if you like the field events, come in, come out during the day. You can get real close and watch. Um, if you like the running events, you can kind of squeeze it into a two or three hour thing from like four to seven each night. Um, and and you know we have alumni coming in. We'll have a lot of high schoolers coming in. So it's 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 always a good crowd. If anybody hadn't been to a track meet at, in Lafayette. 
I mean, we'll put a, a, a thousand or so people in the stands. It's a good atmosphere. All right. So am I thinking are, are some of the finals on Friday, like certain events, and then everything else on Saturday, or are all the finals on Saturday? Most of your finals are on Saturday. What you do have is a 10,000-meter, uh, which is a distance event, is a final on the, on the Thursday, and then there's a steeple, which is a distance event on the Friday. You don't like to do those three uh, in one day. It's almost impossible. So they split those up over three days. Um, so most of your finals are going to be on Saturday. That's when the, all, of the, all of the action really is happening. All right, so I just got finished for the last few weeks typing up a lot of results from the high school uh, state tr- uh, district meets and regional meets and state meets. And every time I um, I type up like the 300 hurdles and the four by eight relays, my, my body just kind of hurts. Did, did you get that same <laughs> feeling or, or, or what, what do you think of those events? Thankfully, um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a distance coach, so I'm not a big fan of the four by eight. I'll be very honest, but uh, a distance coach will tell you they love it. It's opportunities. Um, and three hundred hurdles is, is we don't run. We run four hundred hurdles in college. So okay. it's, it's, it's even for me, it's like I don't know what those times really mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that just seems like. And I see these 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 guys and young ladies. Like, so they'll run the 800, the 1600, and the 3200. And I'm like, man, I can't even hardly walk across the street. I don't know how no, to do it. I, I'm with you. I mean, I'm a track coach, but I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we just wanted to get you on and let people know that it was here this weekend. And it uh, starts tomorrow. But like you said, it really gets going on Friday. And then on Saturday, you'll have the finals for almost all the events. And also wanted to get your impressions. Uh, I'm not too happy about the Saints playing the Vikings in London. Uh, you know, it, it just depends on who uh... – Get get the jet lag right. You know, last time the Saints win, they got it right, and whoever they played didn't because I think it was like forty five to nothing. You know, so it, it's you never know what you're going to get out of a game like that. Absolutely, but it's going it, to it's shaping up to if they can get. You know, I think Jarvis Landry's line yacht, but if they get Jarvis Landry and a veteran running back, who man, I'm gonna have trouble sleeping at night. Yeah, be so giddy. It's going to be a long summer just waiting for it to get started. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. I appreciate your time as always. Good luck to y'all this weekend, Coach. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. All right. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry, Coach. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I thought it was going to be Coach Bad on, but it was Coach Bad O. So we, um, it worked out. Worked out just as good. Again, he's a – Coach Bad O's a Saints fan, but Coach – Bad O is really a Saints fan. He He's more on the sicko side like me, so I can really relate to him when it comes to talking to Saints even more than than, than Coach Bad O. But love talking to both of them for sure. So good luck to them this weekend. All right, we'll take a – by the way, before we take this time out, the Cajuns did, as some would say, draw first blood. They're up one to nothing. Uh, in the top of the third, Rayna O'Neal got an RBI double to score Melissa Mayu. So um, Cajuns are up one nothing. top of the third against Coastal Carolina in Mobile in their first game in the Sunbelt Conference softball tournament. So just wanted to keep you up to date there. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out today's show next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. We'll be right back. 
Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. You know, what kind of Saints fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Want to remind you if you would like to get a sneak peek, a special sneak peek to the movie Top Gun Maverick. One, the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, would like to help you do so. You can do so by simply texting Top Gun, T O P G U N. To 68683, text Top Gun to 68683. You might win a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek on May the 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard to watch the movie Top Gun Maverick. This uh, special preview is brought to you by Big Boy Toys and the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Uh, Again, another update before we get to the top of the hour and hand it over to Jim Rome. The Cajuns are up one to nothing with two outs batting in the bottom of the third. Uh, again, uh, Megan Shorman is the starting pitcher. She's given up one hit through the first three innings. And so we'll see what the Cajuns could do. They're going to need to score a few more runs. I mean, you don't want to have to count on posting a, a shutout to win. But, you know, again, they've got, what, four more at-bats? Theoretically, if they don't get a two-out rally going with two outs and nobody on here in the third inning. So Cajun's up one to nothing. All right, something else I wanted to just throw it out there. Maybe we can discuss it a little more tomorrow on the program. But uh, And I referred to it a little bit uh, and real quick in passing coaching, talking to Coach Batto in the last segment. But the, um, the Baltimore Ravens released running back Tyson Williams. He's six foot, two hundred twenty pounds, rushed for one hundred eighty-five yards. He got off to a fabulous start, had a hundred-yard rushing game early, and then, for whatever reason, as they say, got in the coach's doghouse. So I have no idea what happened. I don't follow the Ravens close enough to know why Tyson Williams was in. Um, Coach Harbaugh's doghouse and did very little to nothing the rest of the season. <clears throat> Could be kind of a bargain addition for a. He's not so much. He's a veteran that he's played in the NFL, but he's only played one year in the NFL. So it's hard to know what you would be getting to him. I would rather them get a real season running back like a Darrell Williams, but just throwing Tyson Williams that name out there. For us Saints fans to chew on, we'll see if anything would come out of that. I say let's go get Daryl Williams. That's who I've wanted from the beginning. But I appreciate Coach Battle coming on um, very much. And 
We'll see what happens this weekend at, at, at the track meet. Appreciate Cokie Riley coming on as well. Y'all have a nice day.